Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it is our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We meet every Thursday at Shepherd Church in Porter Ranch. For more info, go to wearesya.com. It's like a 37-week series at this point, but we've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. And so um, in this sermon, at this point, Jesus, he's getting to the heart of the law. So what he's been doing this whole entire time for his original audience is he's taking the law that they know, like they know the law. And he's getting to the heart of it, like what the Father intends with the law, which is Jesus' MO, right? Like he came to reveal the heart of the Father. And so that's what he's been doing in this sermon. He's been saying things like, you've heard it said not to murder. But I say don't hate because that's murder in your heart. He's he's taking it a step further. He's talked about forgiveness, avenging, adultery versus lust, generosity, praying, fasting, worrying, and now this week, we're getting toward the end of that sermon, and he's wrapping it up with a warning, and it's like a pretty ominous warning, too. So tonight, we're talking about gates, prophets, and fruit, and if you don't have a handout, I encourage you, you can go get one. All the verses that I'm going to just shoot out tonight, they're on the bottom, because I'm like that. I want to know the verses. I already wrote them down for you. You don't got to freak out. You're welcome. So tonight we're in Matthew 7, 13 through 20. If you want to pull out your Bible, go ahead. If not, it's going to be on the screen. So verse 13 says, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes bushes, or figs from thistles? (laughs) No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus... By their fruit, you will recognize them. So when I first came to this passage, you guys, I kind of laughed. And it's not because this passage is funny. It is very much not a funny passage, okay? But I laughed because I feel like this year I have felt a, like, strong burden in my heart for this generation and the generation coming up. I work with you guys and I work with middle school and high school students, And I've noticed a shift in faith. It might be slight, but I felt it, like spiritually. Have you guys ever babysat kids who are picky eaters, right? (laughs) Hand right up, Haley in the back, I have. Me and my sister, we babysat a child who shall remain nameless because this is being recorded and I don't know if someone's gonna watch this, right? This kid would only eat Nilla cookie, like little wafers all night. And I was like, this child is like surely nutrient deficient. But it was not a battle that I was going to win that night, right? I just needed to survive. I needed to get out. That was all I needed to do. But I have noticed this culture of picky eaters in Christianity. 
where much like that child that I babysat, people are approaching the, the gospel of Christ and they're saying, I'll take this, but like, eh, I don't want that, right? Like, give me the cookies of the gospel. Give me Jesus is love and Jesus is grace. And he takes me back every time. Yes, nom, 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 right? But love my enemies, remain pure, humble my pride. I don't have a palate for that. Like, give me the commands that give me life. The other ones, they're archaic, right? But my friends, we do not get to pick apart the gospel. Because last time I checked, we didn't die and rise for it. Jesus did. Praise God, he is so good. He wants us to be fully well. He wants us to be fully nutritioned, even though I don't think that's a word. It had a red underline when I wrote this, but that's fine. He wants us to be fully nutritioned. God's intent is to bring us into spiritual maturity. And tonight's message is gonna be a bit of a spinach message. But spinach is good for you, okay? Builds muscles. So Jesus begins this passage that we're studying tonight with a warning, right? Enter through the narrow gate. And I don't think Jesus is trying to scare anybody, right? He's not into scare tactics. But I do think that he loves his original audience enough and us through the power of his word to warn us of a life or death situation. And I know that sounds intense, but Jesus got deep fast. We've been given two options, a road that leads to destruction and a road that leads to life. And the road that leads to destruction is broad and it is easy. And so many people find it. And the road that leads to life is narrow, and it is hard, and very few find it. And despite the difficulty, I believe that most people in this room, they wanna be on the narrow road, because we want life. So let's break down what this road is marked by. I think that the narrow road is marked by authentic discipleship, intentionality, and life. So let's start with authentic discipleship. I know that disciple is a word that we hear often in the church, but I don't know if we really know what it means. So simply put, disciple means to be a student of a teacher. Back in Jesus' time, that teacher would be known as a rabbi, okay? The first century disciple, they would follow their rabbi everywhere. It did not matter what the activity was, if it was listening at his feet like Mary, if it was doing exactly as he did, like washing feet. Whatever it was, their rabbi was their guide to life. So much so that an expression that was recorded at that time says, may you always be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Because like, like a baby duckling, right, you're always following behind him at his feet so you'd be covered in his dust. That's what authentic discipleship looks like. It looks like being covered in the dust of your rabbi. And Jesus is calling us to that narrow road. And few find it because true dis discipleship is a minority position, honestly. It is a matter of deliberately opting out of the mainstream because discipleship is by no means easy. Like if you read the Bible and you know the life of the actual disciples that that word is based off of, their life was not easy. It's a life of surrender. It is a life of sacrifice, of suffering, and of sanctification. So first, discipleship is a call to surrender. That shouldn't be new to us if you've ever come to church before in your life, right? We sing about surrender. We talk about surrender. But I wonder 
How many of us forget that when we get comfortable and when the world is telling us, eh, it's okay, right? You don't really have to do that. But let's remember what Jesus himself told us in Luke. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. It's not just when you first came to Jesus, guys. He says here, daily take up that cross. And that cross is a call to die. It's not a necklace that you wear or earrings. Like, it's okay that we wear it, but we need to understand that back in the original audience that he said that to, it was a violent way to die and torture criminals of that time. So when Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, it's not a sweet sentiment. The original audience knew the severity of the statement. It meant be willing to die. Die to selfish desires. To peer acceptance. To pride or sinful nature. Die to things that the enemy tells you isn't hurting anybody else. Right? Die to things... That sin struggle that you've told absolutely no one about because you think you can't live without it. We've been called to surrender, guys. We've been called to surrender for good reason, too. God doesn't just want to take things away from you, okay? Like, hear me. He wants to take you places, okay? It's just that you can't bring those things to where he's taking you. Those higher places of holiness, they require that those things be left behind. Because whatever you have not surrendered to God is a lid for your spiritual maturity. I'll say that again. Whatever you have not surrendered to God is a lid for your spiritual maturity. And I understand that it's hard to surrender at times. Trust me, I do. I'm in it with you. It's hard for me too. But we need to, hear, we need to heed the words of Jesus. Matthew 10, 38 says, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Guys, that, oh, that we would be worthy of Jesus, right? That we would live lives worthy of Jesus. We also surrender because Jesus never asks us of things that he has not first modeled for us. I love that about Jesus. Jesus modeled surrender for us in Mark 14. You guys know the story. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is crying out to the Father because he's about to violently die on the cross for us. He's about to bear the weight of the sin of the world. He is weeping. He is sweating blood. And he asks God to take that cup from him. But it's how he ends the prayer. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, what you will. In the end, he surrendered to God's will. And I don't know about you guys, but if surrender is good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us. Discipleship is a call to surrender. It's also a call to sacrifice. The original audience, once again, when they heard sacrifice, they had a specific image in their head. Sacrifice was a commonly understood thing in the ancient culture. Animal sacrifices were made to atone for sins, like settling the score. It would make them one with God, at one min. 
It was honestly the Lord meeting ancient people in ancient ways, setting up the way for Jesus. However, after Jesus, the word sacrifice means something different. It doesn't mean atonement like that because Jesus alone made us right, okay? He alone did it, done. Rather, a sacrifice is anything in your life that is devoted to God. Romans 12:1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We're called to be living sacrifices. That's not like the undead, okay? Like the walking dead, that TV show that I cannot watch. I can't. I'm a baby. Jesus isn't asking you to die for him. He was enough. He was the atonement. He's asking you to live for him as a sacrifice to him. And he actually views it as worship. That's what that verse says. Don't get me wrong. I love singing songs. I'm a worship leader, okay? I could do it all day long. I do it when I'm in the car. I do it when I'm at home. I don't need you. Like, I'm by myself worshiping. But if it stops at a song, if that's all that it is, What is it worth if you're not changed by what you declare to the Lord? What is it worth if your life does not reflect what you claim in the house of God? As disciples, we're called to sacrifice. And that verse says our entire selves. Not just 10%, you guys. Your life is not a tithe to the Lord, okay? Not like Monday through, like Saturday, it's me. But then on Sunday, Jesus, I'm all yours. No, your life is the Lord's as a disciple of the, of the Lord. And it is costly, I know, but it's not new. Like this has been in the Bible this whole time. I did not make these scriptures up. In Luke 14, Jesus is traveling with people and he turns to the crowd and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And of course, all the faces in the crowd were like, when they heard that. He says, okay, okay, okay. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Like, suppose you want to buy uh, Air Force Ones. Wouldn't you check your bank account to see if you had enough money? Down to verse 33. In the same way, those of you who don't give everything, you can't be my disciples. Yes, it's costly, but Jesus is so worthy. Discipleship is a call to sacrifice. Discipleship is also a call to suffering for Christ. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, my favorite verse of all time. I want to know Christ, yes. That part, I always feel like there's like a Derek in the back of the room going, yes. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This was my favorite verse as a child. I loved this verse. Because I do want to know Christ. But I want to know all of Christ, not just walking on water, Jesus. I want to know weeping in the garden, Jesus. And what I love about this verse is that you can't get to resurrection without participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. 
Because there isn't resurrection without death. So I don't know if anyone needs to hear this, but if you want some resurrection in your spiritual life, you're probably going to need to die to some things first. You're probably going to need to give some things up first. But guys, Jesus is so good because even in your suffering, it produces life. Like that's how good Jesus is. That's why Romans says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And once again, 1 Peter tells us, Jesus modeled this first. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We're called to suffer for Christ. Discipleship is also a call to sanctification. This is another hefty word that you might have heard in the church, less likely, but you might have heard it. I'll explain it tonight. Sanctification is like a coin, okay? In that it has two sides. So let's call one of them positional sanctification and the other one progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification is this. God established our righteousness through the sacrifice of Jesus, okay? Jesus died. His righteousness became mine through that sacrifice. Done. It's completed, right? It's grace through faith. Praise the Lord. Because of Jesus, you're holy and set apart. That is my position now. I'm sanctified through Christ. And yet... Scripture also talks about progressive sanctification that should be happening in every single believer. And that's the process of actively growing in godliness. Becoming more like Christ. Through God's empowerment and our obedience, we are striving to actively do what pleases God by submitting to him. And that requires ongoing cooperation with God. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Sanctification is a process. It doesn't just happen at accepting Jesus, it starts there. That's the beginning point. We've got to work out the salvation that we have received. It's a narrow road of authentic discipleship, but also intentionality. Intentionality is required to walk a narrow road. I know that's psychological, but it is. Intentionality is required to grow in godliness and to produce good fruit. I know that we know that because we know that I'm not going to get healthy if I binge watch Netflix and eat chips and do nothing. I've tried. doesn't work. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, Not that I've already obtained all of this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, 
Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that. Straining towards what is ahead. Have you guys ever seen a photo finish in track and field? Anyone? Raise of hands. Raise of hands. I literally didn't know what what that was till today. Jeffrey told me. (laughs) I'll tell you. All these runners in track and field, they are running as fast as they can. And often these runners, they are neck and neck. And at the end, they can be super close. So they need a photo finish to see who won the race. And what you see is that runners are straining to give everything they have to get across the finish line. We have a picture. Look at that. Straining. There is so much intentionality right here in this moment. He's not assuming he'll get there, right, like this. Like, no, he is, look at the veins, goodness gracious. (laughs) This is a picture of what the narrow road is like. It is not without effort. The wide road is easy to find. Because if we don't decide, we drift. If we don't decide, we drift. Their narrow road is a road of intentionality. And lastly, the narrow road is the road of life. It's what makes it all worth it. Guys, Jesus didn't do all that he did and doesn't ask of you all that he does just for half a life. In John 10.10, he said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Full life the fullest of all lives, a life that is healed, a life that is redeemed and set free and known and empowered and provided for and secure and rich even when you're poor, okay? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, when he said that verse, Jesus drew a line in the sand, right? Because he did not say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a kind of life. He did not say that. Sorry, I got a little loud. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody could come to the Father except through him. The road is narrow. And the wide road is going to tell you that there are many ways And there are many truths. And we don't judge here. And everyone's accepted here. As if Jesus hasn't done everything in his power to draw all men unto himself. Don't be deceived, my friends. Jesus has done everything for you to come to him. On this road, it's narrow, though. The wide road deceives because the wide road is full of false prophets. That's what the scripture told us. And Jesus warns the original audience and us to watch out for them. Now, the idea of false prophets, it's not new to who he's talking to. In the Old Testament, there were true and false prophets, okay? True prophets, they spoke on behalf of God, and often the kings wanted to kill them. That's just how it went. They were running for their life half the time. False prophets, their messages were more palatable, okay? 
They were hired by the kings. They made sure to only speak what pleased those in power. They spoke of peace and shallow optimism. They did not speak of morally righteous. They encouraged wickedness. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Colossians warns us. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. It still happens today, guys. There are still prophets today. And they look pretty much the same. They don't necessarily need to be a person like, please don't be on Facebook and be like, you're a false prophet. No, it's not necessarily a person. It can be a worldview. It can be a movement, an ideology. And luckily, Jesus gave us a litmus test for this, okay? The litmus test for a false prophet is what kind of fruit do they bear? What kind of fruit do they bear? Because fruit does not lie. Dress a tree however you want. I can tell you if it's good or bad when I bite into that fruit, right? Like Dusty says, character leaks. And we've been told in scripture the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no law. And as beloved children of God, we are called to test the spirits. And that's just a fancy way of saying, is this from God? Is this from God? And we can know whether it's from God by knowing his word, okay? It's when we aren't regularly in God's word that our personal desires sound a lot like truth. And then we have a world that's telling us it's a lot like truth. And here's another quick red flag for you for false prophets in your life. If you are never being convicted, if you are never being challenged, if you are never being humbled to look more like Christ, you might be following a false prophet. Because scripture tells us to not resent conviction or discipline. Because in fact, God disciplines those he loves. Like a good parent, they discipline their child. If I'm going to touch a stove, my mom's like, Cervantes, don't do that. Because she loves me. She doesn't want me to burn my hand. So God does this with us. You can also test if you're following a false prophet by the fruit that you are bearing. The fruit you bear or lack thereof can be an indication of what you're actually following. Are you more joyful now than you were before? Are you more peaceful? Are you more patient? Are you more faithful to God? Are you more disciplined in your faith? It's not about if you're more religious, like, oh, well, I'm doing all of these things for God. That's not the test because the Pharisees, they did things for God. And Jesus called them blind guides. They did not have the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit was not active in their life. We are called to follow the good shepherd. Notice what our scripture said. In verse 15 it said, watch out for false prophets. 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. It said they are wolves in sheep's clothing, not wolves in shepherd's clothing. When our eyes are not on the shepherd, you guys, when they are not intentionally on our shepherd, we start following sheep. We start following the majority vote. When we need to follow the shepherd, we need to know his voice. John 10, Jesus said, my sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And there's something about sheep that we need to know that the original audience knew. But I think we need to experience it together. So let's watch this video really quick. One more time. I'm not going to say my eyes watered when I first watched it, but it did. <laughs> we need to know our shepherd's voice, right? We need to respond to his alone. He leads us to safety. He leads us to life. Yes, the narrow road is hard. And it can be costly. And at times it can feel lonely. But my prayer for you tonight is that you would know that Jesus is worth everything that he asks of you. And I know this from experience. I know that some of you in this room know my story, but most of you don't. I lost my dad to leukemia when I was a baby, and I have no memory of him. I was too young, but I do have memory of his absence. And in those early years, I wish that, you know, I had a dad like the other kids, made little gifts for him at church. And then my mom remarried, and it was like the greatest gift. I was still young, and I had gotten a dad but then life happens as it does, and they separated when I was 10. 
And I remember that day, it was really abrupt and I didn't see it coming and he just wasn't there when I woke up. And I didn't really see him after that. And he did some things that were hurtful to our family in the aftermath as people do, right, when they're going through a separation. And it was very jarring for me to not only lose another father but gain an enemy as a little girl. And I began to suffer from some PTSD symptoms from abandonment trauma, and I share this with you because I want you to know the cost. If I smelt something that reminded me of him, if I went to a place that reminded me of him, I was physically unwell, I was nauseous, I was anxious, I was afraid, I had paranoia, I thought I was unsafe. So we changed all the locks in the house. When I saw him, I would have panic attacks, I would run and hide. I was hyperventilating until I felt safe. And those went away over time, right? My brain finally <laughs> developed enough I was able to process. And I pushed it down to survive as a kid, as most people do. And I knew Jesus. Oh, I knew Jesus my whole childhood. I knew the Spirit of God very closely. I grew up in the house of God. And at 16, I decided I'm all in at a camp, right? Because we do that. I'm all in. And then I read Matthew 6. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And I lost it. And I ran to Dusty because he was my youth pastor. And I was like, pulled it out. I was like, is this a metaphor? Like, is he just trying to say he's super serious? And he reminded me that we don't get to pick apart the gospel. That this was a command, not a suggestion. And I honestly was distraught because I knew how much I hated my stepdad. He was like the epitome of everything that I went through. And I told Dusty, I laughed honestly when he said that and then because I was like, you don't understand. I hate him. I know I seem like this joyful person. I hate this man. I can't forgive him. I was hopeless. Like there was so much hopelessness in my body. I was like, I cannot forgive him. And he was like, then start by praying blessings over him because Jesus commands us to pray blessings over our enemies. And I was like, I'm not gonna mean it. He's like, that's fine. It's a command. You do it anyways. And that was the moment. I had to weigh the cost. Forgiveness was a terrifying road for me. I had no desire to go down that road. I knew hatred. I thought it was protecting me. Forgiveness, I did not know, but I loved Jesus. I felt safe with Jesus. I trusted Jesus. I knew even at 16, he was worth every single thing that he asked of me. And scripture tells us, his loving kindness leads us to repentance. I love that verse. And it did exactly that for me. Because I knew the love of Jesus, I was willing the cost. And it was years of dying to myself. This was not overnight. Months of literally crying myself to sleep alone. No one knew, me, Jesus, you know? Praying blessings, it was like medicine coming out of my mouth. Ugh. I did not mean it. Years of the Holy Spirit asking more of me every single time I was like, I did it! And he was like, more. I need to heal you more. 
Spend time with him, right? Hug him. Oh, it was the worst. Everything Jesus asked of me on my road to forgiveness, but it was worth it. I trusted him even though the road was so narrow and it was so hard and at times it was so lonely because it brought me life. It brought me freedom from hatred that I never thought I'd be free of ever. And it brought me healing of my mind and of my body. My friends, the narrow road is hard and it may be full of surrendering and sacrificing and suffering for sanctification. But take it from me, an older sister, okay? It is absolute fullness of life, absolute fullness of life. So I have two questions that I wanna leave you guys with tonight based on the scripture that we studied. Kind of to test yourself and where you sit in this scripture. The first one is, does your profession of faith cost you anything? Think about your life. Does it cost you anything? Good. Does your decision for Christ change your life? Daily, moment to moment, is that Holy Spirit, oh no, choose love. Yeah, you need to humble yourself. Now go out of your way for that enemy. Good. This narrow road, it is hard, but it is life. It's absolute life. And sometimes I'm just afraid that all we see is the difficulty when Jesus was just preaching life all throughout the gospel for us. There's so much he wants to free you from, guys. There's so much he wants to redeem you for, guys. This is the beginning of the journey. You guys are starting your life now. Choose the narrow road. It's worth it every time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for my friends. Thank you that um, I got the opportunity, Lord, to share some truth from your scripture to them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict hearts tonight out of your great love for us because you don't want us to stay where we are. You want to heal us, Jesus. You want to take us from glory to glory, God. You could have just saved us and that would have been enough. <laughs> but you're not done, Jesus. There's still so much more. I pray, Holy Spirit, for bravery for my friends tonight. If they need to talk to any of us in this room or get prayer during worship, whatever it is, Jesus, that they would. And I pray that this would be the start, Lord. And I pray that they would know that you are worth everything that you ask of us. In your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.